I call it between the, you know, between the tension and the relaxation, there's freedom. There's a midway. It doesn't work at either extreme. It's absolutely the, the middle of the way. And I call it a state of no tension. When you have no tension and you don't have the symptoms, that's good enough. You don't need more weight than that. A lot of weight, it also relaxes fulcrums, which are stable points for movement. You relax the shoulder, everything, you know, not, nothing is in the right place to move. You can't even move the, the upper arm. You relax the, the elbow, you can't move the forearm. You relax the wrist. All the weight falls there, carpal tunnel syndrome. That's the main reason for that. You know, if you relax that, again, you don't have a place for the hand to move from. Hi, I'm Ben Kaplow, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Edna Galansky. Edna Galansky is a world-renowned piano pedagogue, the leading exponent of the Taubman approach, and the founder of the Galansky Institute. A graduate of the Juilliard School, where she studied under Jane Carlson, Rosina Levine, and Adele Marcus, Ms. Galansky has earned worldwide acclaim for her pedagogical expertise, extraordinary ability to solve technical problems, and her penetrating musical insight. You can learn more about the Taubman approach and her online symposiums and consultations by visiting www.ednagalansky.com. In this episode, we went through some of the main components of the Taubman approach, including the use of the forearm, playing quietly, rotation, in and out motion, the problem with telling students to relax, and tone production. I've been familiar with Edna Galensky's work for a long time, and I highly recommend watching some of her YouTube videos in which she visually demonstrates many of the topics we discussed in the interview today. Hope you enjoy. Now on to the interview. Edna Galensky, thanks so much for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Today, we're going to talk about the Taubman approach. So I want to start by asking the most basic question possible, which for you, I'm sure you've spoken about this hundreds of times, but I think for some of our listeners who may be more uninitiated, uninitiated would be helpful. Can you give us just a basic elevator pitch of what the Taubman approach is before we start discussing it in more detail? Absolutely. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it and I'll tell you why. It's something that I put together and it's my favorite, I would say, uh, pitch. And it, it doesn't include everything, but it has kind of a way, you know, to include mostly what's there. So, and we can up, then unpack it as you wish. So the Taman approach is a groundbreaking analysis of the mostly invisible motions that function underneath virtuoso technique, or I would say natural technique. The resulting knowledge makes it possible to help pianists and other instrumentalists overcome technical limitations as well as cure piano-related injuries. It is also the way that tone production and other components of expressive playing can be understood and taught. The Taubman approach was developed as a result of the traditional teaching models failing to provide solutions to the common technical problems and injuries experienced by performing musicians. This approach also aims at the prevention of problems and injuries caused by inefficient or incorrect instrumental technique. 
That's great. I really like that word you use, invisible. And that's what I kind of want to make a lot of today's interview about. Because I remember I watched one video of you where you said, I'm paraphrasing, but that the margin between injury and healthy technique is oftentimes very, very small, at least visually. And um, I want to talk about some of these motions, which to an average listener may not look like huge adjustments, but actually can make all of the difference. And so I want to start with the absolute basics, which is just pushing a note down on the piano, and we'll obviously branch out from there. But just the act of pushing down a note, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And so I think many beginners and even some less experienced teachers basically just freeze their arm in place and just push the finger down. And it's all about finger strengths. And that leads to a lot of exercises that build, quote unquote, finger strength. And I watched one video where you very disparagingly called that a false strength. So can you talk about what the problem is with finger isolation and how the Taubman approach corrects for this? Absolutely. You know, if you think about life in general, do we ever move to pick up a glass of water or reach for a pencil or go to our head? Do we ever reach with fingers alone? No. It's not possible, right? So it, it seems that everything that doesn't work in daily living, you know, we think of the piano as being something totally separate, but it's part of life. So it's not possible to, to, to separate the fingers from the hand and from the arm to which it is connected. They go with us. It's the same as can you walk with the legs moving and the body staying in place? It's not possible. It's almost the same, like these are the legs, the fingers are the legs, and this is, you know, the rest of the body. So we know from ancient thinking, you know, from thousands of years ago with the martial arts and Tai Chi and Qigong and yoga, and in this century, the last century with Alexander and Feldenkrais and Pilates and some others, you know, that we move as aligned beings. What is different with Taugman, what, what goes, it goes along the same thinking, but what has been thought is that if we are aligned with our bodies, we are aligned at the piano. And it turns out that that's not true. We can be very aligned with the body. And the parts that are aligned that are specific to how we move in life and how we play the piano and how we go to the computer and how we do anything, how we cut, you know, chefs also injured, you know, jewelry makers are also injured very often, you know, surgeon, it's just the way you hold something and you move. It can be one bad movement that already is running your life. You know, it's, it's very, very painful. And it could be so when you put a kid down, why should the finger go by itself and the arm hold up? It makes no sense, you know, because anywhere that we go, other parts move with us. So the question, this is a simple answer. How do we go down? You know, if I just let my my arm go to my lap, you know, it goes down, but it doesn't distinguish between one finger to the next. We put the finger down. It's the most natural thing that the form will go with it. Mm -hmm. Where is it going? You know, I mean, why hold it up and go down where we, you create really opposing motions, which uses opposing muscles. One is going down, other muscles are holding you up. The body doesn't function well that way. It creates mm -hmm. like what we call dual muscular pull. And the important thing to know about is not even the term. The fact is that we end up tense, mm -hmm. you know, and it makes we have all those exercises that you mentioned to develop fingers, but we do all kinds of strategies that actually makes it difficult for the fingers to move. So if they, they for so for example, you mentioned somewhere in your questions, and I read all of them, uh, because they were good questions, uh, piano playing, and there's almost no 
in all the teaching and masterclasses and workshops and all of that, there's almost no pianist who plays softly comfortably. All you have to know about producing soft is that you slow the key down, but you can't slow the key down without the form. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of, uh, I also teach voice in addition to piano. And what I often experience with students is if they want to sing loud, then maybe they'll sing with the kind of abdominal support we want. But then when they try to sing quiet, then they sort of take away support and sing all from the throat. And I think it's the same idea that you're talking about, about when we want to be quiet, we try to achieve it by taking support away and it can produce tension. Another thing I really like about what you're saying about keeping it aligned is an issue that I think people find when they do these finger isolation exercises is finger four is really weak or something. But it finger four really is only a weak finger if you think about it as fingers alone. Whereas when you keep it initiated from the forearm, we don't have to think as much in terms of weak fingers, strong fingers, because it's not all about the fingers. First of all, finger weakness is not because they are weak. It's because they're not connected. Right. They're weak when they're by themselves. They have very small muscles, you know, and they don't have much power. They don't mm -hmm. have much weight. They have very little weight. So they have to start forcing when they go mm -hmm. by themselves. The moment you connect the finger to the hand and to the form, and then there's a question, why the form? Um, because when we think of arm, we think of upper arm, and there's a problem with that. Mm. Um, the moment you connect it, this is a strong finger. That's the first thing that we teach. The people right. I train, the people I teach, that's the first thing. It's an easy thing to overcome. So developing all the muscles and everything actually very often weakens them. And the fourth finger, it's it's nationally, internationally, a weak for you know fourth finger. Right. We're not. We have the problems. That's another thing to realize. The problems that we have as pianists and other instrumentalists is global. It's like the pandemic. It's musicians' pandemic. It knows no religious. It knows no borders. It knows no color. It's just it's this it's the same thing. So obviously the people who don't have a weak fourth finger, that's the whole thing of where Talmud starts from. Mm -hmm. You know, how come this one has it? I believe that if one person can do it, we can do it if we only found out the key. Yeah. Um if I could ask a follow-up question. So um although we don't necessarily want to do these sort of finger strength building drills. I do wonder if what your situ what you would do as a teacher if you had a situation where someone played where they did initiate from the forearm, but then once the finger pressed the key, it collapsed. So stereotypically, we would want to build strong finger tips. And I wonder if you feel that that's an important goal to build strong finger tips. And if there's a way to do that where it doesn't risk getting the students to be overly focused on fingers only and to lose the kind of forearm connection. Right. So, you know, I think that what has been, what has not been clear enough is that the whole addition of the forearm is not instead of finger. In other words, when people come very, very tight, we, um, as, as pedagogues, the only way to start to connect it is by concentrating on it because it is like a piece of ice. It's like never, it's like you didn't even know that it existed, you know? So we, so all the things that we do to free it and say, you know, the forearm initiate motions and all of that, it's part of a process. It's not the end result. Okay. The whole thing is to probably connect the forearm to the hand and to the fingers. The fingers still initiate motion. It's the same as when you walk, it's the leg starting and the body responding. So in, 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 in an ideal world of playing, when the finger moves, there's immediately a response from the hand and the form to which they are connected. 
but the arm can't be the one but in the teaching we have to go for a long time from here because it tends so easily and slowly people get the the, the combination now for example if i put the arm and i see as a teacher i know how to diagnose and i ask questions always yeah. and i see that the fingers are moving the right amount i say nothing but if like for what you say if the arm overtakes and the fingers sometimes become lazy I will edit, but I don't add the fingertip. The fingertip has the sensation. It's the only part that connects to the keys. So that's why you feel that the strength is really in the fingers, but the fingers by comparison to what it was before, feel they hardly move. But what you see, you know, you still see, you still see finger movement. And if I did tell you that my forearm is connected, you would know that my forearm is connected. Okay. So there is, if I could ask, so just, Branching off that one point before we move to a different subject. So if you do see a student where, yes, their forearm is moving, but then their fingers consistently collapse, what would you do in that case? I would not even wait until it's there. I usually get okay. symptoms. First of all, oh, interesting. I get okay. symptoms. So one of the things is, first of all, that it's it's hard to minimize the movements. All those right. big motions, and you mentioned, you know, they think, oh, Taliban approach, oh, yeah, it's this, you know. It's not taught well a lot of the times, and it's not minimized properly, and it's not combined with, with the working hand and arm, with the in and out, with shaping. In other words, what we see at the end is a system with parts, like the body has many different parts that have to talk to each other, have to work together. It's the same thing here that one part is not enough. The rotation alone will not is not the answer, but I already can tell by certain symptoms and by the fact that sometimes the motions don't, the, the proportion of finger to arm is not quite right yet. I would add finger, uh-huh. but I will say something like, just feel that f- like the forearm is moving or the finger, I will say, just feel slight motion as you rotate with small rotation of the fingers, the slight mm-hmm. motion. I would never get you to the point where it's like spaghetti. Yeah, exactly. You see, I right. came from a lot of relaxation. I was taught in the Russian school, and uh, so there was a lot of arm yeah. and a lot of relaxation. So when I came to Taiwan, I there was still a form that was not free. You know, even with all the relaxation, we think everything is free. No, there's actually a lot of tension to get you to do the job. So sh- she worked on the arm, but there was additional finger motion. I so see. what you end up seeing is actually fingers moving which my theory is why nobody ever realized that there is a lot more than finger motion. Right, exactly. Okay, so you mentioned rotation a few instances there, so I want to branch off into that. Um, I was listening to uh, Josh Wright has a very famous uh, piano podcast, and he had uh, he's had multiple episodes about the Taubman approach, but in one of them, he said that if you ask most piano teachers what they know about Taubman, it's just that it involves a lot of rotating. Um, and so that might seem like something to joke about, but in my opinion, and I know there are many other piano teachers out there who agree with me, including Marvin Blickenstaff, who I spoke to when he was on the podcast, that rotation is perhaps one of the most undertaught aspects of piano instruction. And I know there's obviously different types of rotational motion. There's with the hand, with the torso rotation. But if you could just uh, narrow down to kind of what types of rotational motions are fundamental to the Taubman approach. And also if you could clarify um, these terms that I know come up a lot in Taubman, which is single rotation versus double rotation. Yes. First of all, we're talking a very specific rotation and it's called Mm -hmm. forearm rotation. Okay. So it's not body rotation. It's not upper arm. The upper arm, I just want to say something about the upper arm. 
Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, the upper arm is connected. So we don't we don't hold it, we don't stop it, but it's not a good leading part. It's like your body is not moving your legs. Your legs is moving your body. It's just moves by moved by small, a slow muscle, sluggish. It, it just can't move fast. But it is responses when we rotate, this is a big rotation. That's not what it looks like in the end and shouldn't. Uh, the rotation is so small that it's not, it's was not even identified that there is something like that. Right. It's a form rotation. It's a very light motion. And when, what was the, the rest of the question about it? Um, how does it function? How does it work? Yeah, different types of rotation and single versus double rotation. There are, two, there are really two rotations, one single and one double. So to make it just simple, if you have a trill, you're going in one direction and in order to go to the next figure let's say if you do it with two or three or one and three whatever it is or three and four the unthinkable uh <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> three and four uh, you know you're going in one direction you have a preparatory motion small preparatory motion to go and to go to the next one you have to continue so you're going to play to the left and you continue to the left as a preparatory motion to go to the right the form will not be free if the upper arm is frozen Right, but it's not initiated, maybe not from initiated the upper because if you initiate from here, you're going to end up with pain in the neck, Attention, literally. Yeah. Okay, you know, so it doesn't work. You, you know, when you, symptoms are very important, they tell us what is wrong. So even if it's a small, tiny wrong, a person will get certain symptom. It becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, but so we can't do it from there. It just there's certain what I call indisputable facts. There's certain things that just don't work. And certain mm -hmm. things that will always get a certain response because that's how the body works. It's simple like that. I mean, it's been our pedagogy uh, worldwide has been um, based on how different we are from each other. When in fact, we are so similar to each other that the differences really here don't manifest in a big way. You know, we walk the same, we talk the same, we move the same, you know. So when you're going, so when you're going from side to side, that's what we call and become smaller and smaller. But it's still absolutely organized, synchronized. The moment I go to the left and the, the fingers are already moving to the right, it's no longer synchronized. Interesting. Uh, and so to teach trills, to clarify, you would start with that larger forearm rotation that you were demonstrating. And then once the student has mastered that, you'd gradually work your way towards the point where it's not at least visually perceptible. You know, so th this is a difficult, a more complicated question. If somebody comes and I notice that there's a lot of freedom in the playing, and by the way, between full relaxation and tension, there is freedom in the absence, absence mm -hmm. of tension. I hope you'll ask me about relaxation afterwards. Why? Why yes, does we'll it work? Why is a bad word with us? Um, so when people come, usually, and I get very, you know, people already in conservatories and people already who's passed, you know, people are performing. And when they come extremely tight, the only way to do it, I'll do it whichever way I can and we'll make it big. And then the feeling of, you know, coming down into the key rotation is just a start. Um, but if somebody, if I see that somebody comes and the technique is pretty natural and I can sense that some of it is there, I will not go too big. I'll start with small. I will see where I can start because the big is not an end in itself. It's just a way to break through the tension. Right. It's one teacher tool that you cater depending on the student. I think sometimes methods get criticized for putting every student through the same package. But in Taubman, you don't have to start with the large motion. It depends on what's useful to the what, student. What is useful to the student? Now, I would say that all, almost always, 
it's missing to one degree or another. Why? Because everything has been through the fingers. So the form had no chance to respond or to move with it. You know, so that, that's that's the thing. But sometimes very valve pianists, when they come, by the way, I don't go to rotation. I ask them, where do you have a problem? I start with everybody. And if they say, I don't know, in the Chopin concerto or, or in the Liszt Sonata or whatever, this is the, that's where I start, just to make it a little bit easier. Most of the time they'll say, you know, they feel better. The moment you feel better, the standard changes and the brain start thinking, well, maybe this can feel better. What I would check to the nth degree, I'll go to the end of the world, is how free it is. And freedom is very different. It's like if you move freely, this is freedom. Relaxation is everything is relaxing. What the muscles that should be active, the muscles that shouldn't be active. But anyway, so I, it depends. I'll start where the student is. Majority of people come to me when they've tried a lot of other things, doctors, other methods, whatever. And it's like almost the last stop. If you don't help me, I, I don't know what I will do. And it also affects the, 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 the psychology, the emotional life, the feeling of being a failure. And what if this doesn't work? You know. So when they come like that and they come serious injuries, I sometimes they can't even get to the piano they, wow. in, in such bad. They can't even, you wouldn't believe the, the kind of things that they mm -hmm. come with. So I developed all kinds of strategies, you know, to ease it up and everything. So I'll go, I'll put in what's necessary. The other thing that I wanted to say, rotation is so crucial because it's, it's the first step of connecting the finger and the forearm and making it possible not to stretch. Okay. But I see very often when I show one natural uh, movement that others happen by themselves. So if, in other words, if they're, they're moving and I see that they're moving in and out without even knowing that they're moving in and out, I would not say anything unless it happens to come in a place where I have to make it conscious. I don't make it conscious unless I have to. If they want to then teach it once they have it on themselves, then they have to they have to know a lot more, you know, because people come from different backgrounds. Yeah. And I, I have to say, when you were talking about how you diagnose depending on what the student has. I watched quite a lot of master classes of yours in preparation for today. And one thing that I really appreciated is sometimes when I watch master classes of people, there's kind of their go-to things that they always talk about. But yours were very varied. I mean, you really gave different advice depending on who the person was. So it shows you don't just have the same thing that you work with on everybody. One more question about rotation before we move to in and out. So I know stereotypically in a lot of teacher circles, rotation is taught concurrent with playing legato, but if it's supposed to be detached or staccato, then students are told to play more up and down. I don't know if that's, I assume you would probably disagree with that and say that it's always rotation. Can you talk about the connection between rotation and articulation? Absolutely. Um, the fact is that the rotational motions combine with what we call the walking hand and arm, which is the lateral. Uh, and by the way, I can give, you know, people can go at the end, I will tell you to my website because there's... Yeah, and I'm going to link to that in the show. No, 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 and well. I wanted to say because there's a single and there's the double, you know, and there's how to do scale and all of that. They, they, they can see it and I explain. Um, so the fact is that the, the rotational movements are the fastest one in the body. The fastest the fingers can go up and down. You, you use a staccato touch and it detached, but still if you're moving up and across and down, it's just not as fast as... So it's you add the up and down, the cross is there. But the moment you add a little bit of the rotation, it minimizes the movements and it goes faster. Right, right. I will admit that was a mistake I made early in my teaching career that actually 
I think watching your videos helped me get out of was I, I did teach rotation, but really mostly with legato. And then I would not as much with, but you're right. It's the rotation is not just about achieving legato. It's about speed. There's all sorts of advantages of rotation beyond. If it's minimized properly, yeah, that depends so much on the teacher, on the experience, you know, uh, that not to leave it where it was, not to leave it big. And it doesn't work well without combining other movements. Why? Because there are the needs in the music. It's not only the rotation, but the rotation is the foundation of a building. Same thing. I definitely agree that all types of motion need to happen together for piano playing to truly be free. So with that in mind, I'd like to transition to the last type of motion that's talked a lot about in Taubman that I want to cover today, which is the in and out motion that you alluded to earlier. So for a lot of pianists, if they have something like E, F sharp, G sharp, A sharp, B, it comes very naturally. But if you have to play that same figure a half step down where the outer notes are the black ones and the inner notes are the white ones, then they twist and get into a less comfortable position. And I assume the in and out motion helps with finding that natural hand position and there are other advantages as well. Can you speak a little bit about the in and out motion part of the Taubman approach? Would love to. <laughs> the two reasons, you know, you mentioned, I think, I think it was E. In, in, okay, so you absolutely so one is we cannot change the hand the way it is the day we were born. We just can't change it because the moment we curl, there's tension. This is a fact of life, by the way. You know that anyone who would curl the fingers will end up with tension. You have a long flexor muscle that pulls tightly over the wrist. Everything is tight. So here again, we're given motions like that, and then we say to exercise the fingers. We say to stretch because there's no other way, which which is hugely tension producing. And then we have exercises to, to move the fingers. In other words, we put them in positions where they can't move or can't hardly move. And then we have exercises to move them. Take out those motions and put motions that work, you know, and the fingers will move. So there are two reasons for in and out. One is when you give this example, what if we want to play all white keys? And, and you're not supposed to curl because it's going to tense you. And that's what the Tomlin approach does so successfully is what are the root causes for tension? It's not you tense and you relax. You can relax the whole body, you still tense here. When the hand moves by itself in a, in a isolated way to the left or to the right, you know, we end up with wrist pain and then we want it, then we go and get injections. Stop twisting, learn how to move in and out and there's no ganglia, there's also ganglia and those inflammations on both sides that come only from twisting, whether it's at the piano, at the computer, anywhere else. Now, if is this clear? Or do you want me to, to if anything that you want me to clarify, please tell me. No, that's very clear. So if I understand some of this correctly, I believe part of this is also you're trying to get each finger to play a little closer towards the tip of the white key as opposed to back towards the fallboard. Well, if you play all white keys, why should you play in the blacky area? Okay, you've got all, not that we don't play so much of the time in the blacky area, but if you play here with the keys in between, it's not so comfortable. You know, playing, it's not just a question of right and wrong. Right is easy. It's a question that the piano should not feel like it's hard to do. It's a complicated system. But the whole work that Talman discovered is to make it easy. And when you see great pianism, right, 
it looks like nothing. Great violinist, it looks like nothing. The better the technique, the less you see. So this is all to maintain the hand as it is without doing all those isolated movements that cause pain, tension, and injury. That's one reason for the in and out when you play all white keys. You know, when you have to move out, not to curl, and when you move back in, it's much more complicated than that, but that's to give you my, one reason. Another one in terms of um, twisting, what if I did all of that and then had to play the thumb on a black key? They stretch, they twist. They yeah. twist. The, the way you know something is right is it begins to feel so natural. The hand mm -hmm. can't do it another way. And it's there. And it helps keep that alignment that you talked about in the beginning so that it's always connected. Because once you start stretching and twisting, you lose the alignment. Totally. If you just go, that's why I said there's certain indisputable things. The most basic one is alignment and coordination. We move together as a human being. We don't move, try to do all the things we told at the piano with the curling, with the twisting, with the breaking, try to hold on to a glass of water. And you know, try to, to, to hold, I don't know, toothbrush. We have to train sometimes people to do those daily tasks because what corrupted the body from moving correctly at the instrument goes into everyday life, which is a tragedy. Absolutely. Okay, last thing that I want to talk about, which we've been hinting at um, throughout the interview, is this idea of telling students to relax. Um, you mentioned earlier in this interview that there's a lot of overlap between Taubman and Alexander technique. And I had one uh, Alexander technique specialist come on this podcast, and she said her least favorite teacher things to say to students are relax and sit up straight. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about why you feel like it's a, in some cases, counterproductive to tell students to relax. And if you can give some examples of some muscles that we would want to maybe engage as opposed to just reduce to slack. Okay. I don't know enough about Alexander, but I know the basic principles, you know, and for the body to move, it can't be in a relaxed situation. You know, this is counter motion. In other words, you have to be in a state of alertness. You know, we're not holding anything up. I've seen bad Alexander because people come, people come from Alexander of Feldenkrais, I find it a much more open. This is very, very complicated system. In other words, the whole body thing is a great thing, but this is a whole other extension that, that has not been talked about. Um, so when you when we move the certain muscular activity, right? When we move right, we don't feel the muscles, but they're active. When we relax, we relax everything. Okay, so when you come from a state of relax, I always say when you lie in bed, you're totally relaxed. Also, there's the I think the sense uh, that weight means. I always say it's 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 a it's a, it's a dangerous word a little bit. Um, people think of all the weights when we walk and we land on the leg. There's a certain weight that settles down, right? But it's not the whole body weight. It's just enough to feel solidly on the ground to be able to make the next step, right? Same thing at the piano. We need a certain amount of, of weight, just enough to, at the basis, just enough to put the key down with ease. When we want more sound, all we do is just release a little bit more weight. There's a difference between pressing, pushing, and releasing weight. It's like when you throw a ball, you are releasing, you're not forcing. It's a whole other world. So I call it, I call it between the, you know, between the tension and the relaxation, there's freedom. There's a midway. It doesn't work at either extreme. It's absolutely the, the middle of the way. And I call it a state of no tension. 
when you have no tension and you don't have the symptoms, that's good enough. You don't need more weight than that. A lot of weight, it also relaxes fulcrums, which are stable points for movement. You relax the shoulder, everything, you know, not, nothing is in the right place to move. You can't even move the, the upper arm. You relax the, the elbow, you can't move the forearm. You relax the wrist. All the weight falls there, carpal tunnel syndrome. That's the main reason for that. Mm. You know, if you relax that, Again, you don't have a place for the hand to move from. You relax this mass, this um, uh, joints, and you can't move the fingers. So the fulcrums are very, they're stable points for different parts to move and then to move together. But you can't relax all those fulcrums. They have to be there. This is the way we built and we move from there. And also, all that excessive weight makes it difficult for the fingers to move. So here, we're again doing all the exercise to strengthen the fingers, too much weight, curling, stretching, twisting, all of that, the fingers can't move. So what is the question is, if the fingers can move like that, what else do they need to get around the piano, get around the computer, get around anywhere, maintaining this ability to move nice and light they just don't have the means to move sideways those are slower muscles by the way and then you're stretching they go one to the extreme range of motion i don't i would not go to every detail but you don't have to know a lot to see that this makes it this is tense and it's hard to move the fingers down this is tense it's hard to move the fingers down you isolate them they have no power and it begins to hurt in the upper arm and then you have to push down to put the keys because it's very not enough weight and then you get pain on the lower part of the forearm mm -hmm. all of those things tell us something and we don't say relax we say okay let's see what's wrong what do we have yeah. to do i i experienced that sort of spectrum you're talking about where on the one hand you have tension and then on the other hand you have relax and then you have the goal center where you have freedom i experienced that a lot in conducting when i first started conducting I was very, very tense. And then unfortunately, I did have a teacher tell me to relax. And then what I ended up doing was just as bad. I would be like, flop it. It was very hard to find the beat. And um, it's exactly the same type of mistake that you're describing. So I hope our listeners take that away about telling students just relax can be in many cases very counterproductive. I think that what when a teacher says relax, what they really think, you know, if they relax, the tension will go away. You see, they're saying it with the right intention relax. But the point is, we have 300 years of piano problems. It's 300 mm -hmm. years because it's been identified already in the 18th century, early in the 18th century, that a connection by a doctor, Ramazzini, who saw the relationship between faulty movements and injuries. He saw it with workers in the field, he saw it with, with players. And the point is that the relax didn't help. But it came from also understanding that the fingers alone couldn't do it. I mean, there's been the going back and forth through a lot, uh, you know, for many, many years, for centuries, you know, not knowing what, what actually exists in the middle. Okay, before we go, um, I have kind of a two-part question to wrap things up. First, I mean, obviously, we only barely scraped the tip of the iceberg as far as all of the ideas encompassed in the Tabman technique. But first part of the question, is there any other basic idea about Tamin that you would like to bring up to our listeners that maybe we didn't touch on today? And more broadly, can you give our listeners a sense of what you're up to nowadays and where everyone can go to learn more about you and the Tabman approach and the work that you do? 
Well, you know, there's a lot more, but I would say that uh, maybe another component that is important to realize is part of being a skillful pianist or playing any other instrument is the fact that it also gives you the means for tone production, for musical expression. How do we physically shape that also helps the musical end combine? Those are the two fundamental elements actually for musical expression is tone production. Without it, I call it the soul of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tone production and also how to play it. it's not enough in itself but it's you have to have that and then you have to have the what we call shaping movements it's not the shaping of the phrase exactly it's how you go from finger to finger it has to do with long and short fingers going to black and white keys it's kind of the 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 connecting the the the, the top you know the movement on top that puts everything together and that's also you'll find on my you know some of the information uh on the websites um, so I would say that that musical expression and 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 physical ability are part of one system. It's it's like the head and the body. That it's not like we exercise the you know the technique and then we go and we play because many people have problems. They develop actually um, technical problems as a result of forcing, of moving in about just trying to express the music. You know, changing a technique. A technique is. Is, is something that that works. You can't change it. There can be additional elements. And the most basic one is tone production because it seems to be a mystery. So tone production is a whole other, you know, a whole other talk. But I would just say that it's not two systems. It's part of the same organism. In other words, like an actor, you can't, you can't um, uh, depend on having inspiration. You know, if you play and perform day after day and all of that, you have to know what you're doing. And what you're doing, what's creating all of that is not your heart. Your heart doesn't play the piano. Your back doesn't play the piano. It's your hands, your fingers, hand and form that play the piano. So what are those techniques? It's also part of technique. That's what I wanted to say. You know, does that make sense to you? Yeah. And can you also talk a little bit about what you're up to nowadays and how everyone listening can learn more about you? Well, you know, uh, I have a website that I didn't have before. I had a blog um, that I really didn't didn't have time to to handle. So I have a lot of information there about the Taman approach. I have uh, instructional material uh, on it, which has about, I think, 150 different parts of information from very short ones to master classes to to workshops. Uh, to DVDs that I, you know, that I produce. So there's a lot of information there for people who are interested. Not to talk about the Tauman Institute. So it's ednagolansky.com. The Tauman Institute, um, Golansky Institute is uh, golanskyinstitute.org. And then I have a healthy typing about, you know, some of the strategies to, to, you know, we have the same common denominators in activities. It's also a keyboard, how to type and how to do those things what causes problems and it's very similar the piano is much more complicated but the basics you know the curling the stretching the twisting the relaxing um they're very similar yeah well i really appreciate you coming on today i have to say i have um, been following your work for many many years now and yeah. such a large amount of what i do with my own students in my lessons comes very directly from the videos of yours that I've seen. So really appreciate everything you do for our field. And thank you for coming on the podcast today. I will just say one more thing. We have, yeah. we have a session. The Institute has a session in February. I'm not sure about the date yet, which will be about how to practice. 
Oh, okay. very, very interesting. And and mm -hmm. people who will follow me will know I have a surprise a few months hence, you know. So there'll be other workshops, but there'll be a surprise also. But um, I don't want to discuss it yet. <laughs> okay, I won't prod any more about the surprise. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you very much, Ben. Bye-bye.